0: Hello, friends. It is good to be with you, the Bishop and the Moose. I'm the Bishop, Barry Klingon, and I am joined by the Moose, Kirk Moose, mooseministriesinc.com. And it's always good to be together to enjoy these times of encouragement.
1: Pastor, it's definitely wonderful to come together, be able to break bread with you. And uh, I think that many times believers in our day and age, they fail to divide the word of truth together. You know, when we talk about iron sharpening iron, yes. you know, how can we do that if we're not willing to take the Word of God and present it to someone else as a fellow believer, if nothing else, to be like a litmus test to see if our beliefs really line up with scriptures? I think I heard it put wonderfully with something I just recently read, uh, that many people today take the gospel with no framework Yes. Of what, you know, no theological framework. And they'll get all these wonderful resources that they have online, and they don't understand what they're reading. It's like Mm -hmm. we've been reading, talking about with Greek. You know, there's certain words that they Mm -hmm. have a certain way of meaning to where it's either just for the moment, it happened in the past, or it happened in the past and it continues into the future. Yes. Even beyond the person that had that action and began with them. So if you don't understand the connotation of the Word of God as it's written, and have a good framework to have your theology built on, you really have no foundation, and so you can be believing a fallacy. That's true.
0: You know, you do that. You do that with church history. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like to, you know, uh, study church history or any history. I uh, don't care about the past, but it's the same thing. You know, when you get it, when you study what the church has done in the past. And the, the, the challenges they face. So many times people will, will start preaching something in our age and I think they don't know church history. We condemn that as a heresy in the fourth century or whatever. So it's but and it's the same when you have when you're together and uh, with people I I there you know there's nothing like being with a brother or sister in Christ, and you're 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 talking about the things of God, and right. iron sharpens iron, because what it always has done for me is it stimulated my thinking when I hear somebody say it a little different way or make me think of it a little different way. So it's you know it's invaluable. It's always a good time
1: to do that. But this whole topic that we're talking about right now reminds me of what we were just talking about with the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. the Jewish man that got hurt. Yes. He had a theology that he thought was on a solid ground. But whenever the Samaritan, the man he hated, came to help him, it got turned upside down because the Samaritan actually acted more Christ-like and Messiah-like than he did himself. You know, the parables of Jesus...
0: Uh, were so shocking at the time that he told them. So many of them were so insightful, but they also really made people think in his day because uh, for that day he lived in, the Samaritans were a, a group. I mean, it, you know, we think that we have racial problems today. I mean, the ancient world, not just in Jesus' time, but in all times, where it was incredibly uh, vicious towards one another. And the Samaritans being a group of people that, uh, had intermarried out of the Jewish uh, background into other nations, they were hated by the by the Jews. They don't, they would not even walk through Samaria. They'd go out right. and around, you know, and and so yeah, of course Jesus went right through the middle and won the Samaritan woman to Jesus and all of that. But hey, you know, think about uh, talking about the Good Samaritan. I think there's just such a great lesson in there for people who have experienced uh, a fall. And, you know, it says in that passage, that Jesus told it, this man went down to Jericho and he fell among thieves. And, uh, you know, when we talk about a fall in life, you know, beyond he physically fell, you know, but it's more than the physical fall because it's what happened to him in the process of what the thief did to him and then what the Good Samaritan did to him. But when, we, you know, we start talking about that and kind of define that a little bit for our time together tonight. What what uh, what are the kind of falls uh, that people experience in life? Well,
1: you know, one of the first thing that comes to my mind is adultery. Yes, you right. know, but the problem with adultery is people making an excuse with it and say, "Oh, it just happened." Yes, it never just happens. Yeah. It starts with the thought. Yes, you entertained the thought. Yeah. you allowed the thought to manifest itself. And then you acted upon the thought. So there's a huge set of steps. I actually have a very good friend of mine who's in ministry as well. He does mission work out in Africa. And he made a whole list just as a way to breach people and talk to them about this one issue, Mm -hmm. about all the steps it takes for a person to go down that road. But any sin is like that.
0: Oh, yes. And think about this, though. It's not uh, in the Samaritans thing, because we can talk about, obviously, all sin, never in all... We don't say major sin. We're all right. major things, you know. Like I've said before in here, you don't just wake up one day and leave your family. You know, there's a process that's going on there. That's you don't right. just wake up and become unfaithful to your wife. There's a process that has, has started with bad thinking, like you're you're talking about. But you know, I always talk about storms in our life or a fall. We're talking about yes. using that terminology here. Sometimes a storm is your making. Many times in these areas of sin, it's nobody's fault but your fault because you started down that path and you did this. But beyond that, there are what we call storms that are not of our making. Yep. Something just blows in our life that we really, uh, you know, it's just just life has come in. You know, what are some of those areas that you think of, you know, Uh, And and I think of, I think of like marriage issues. People, again, that could fall in both categories, but somebody loses their marriage. That's a real defining issue and a real, we're using the terminology of the Good Samaritan, a real fall in life. That's a real, that's a real difficult thing to get through.
1: Finances in marriage, oh, yes. I mean that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that'll lead to divorce yes. because the two individuals can't come to a common ground and a common understanding of what needs to happen in their finances.
0: Well, there's you know there's just so many economic bankrupts. You have to file bankruptcy that can define your life. You know you got into yep. trouble financially, and you know you think of that as a fall economically. You know a fall, maritally, you lose your marriage. Uh, you know a storm not of your making. Uh, someone you love, uh, uh, a spouse, a husband or a wife passes away or a child. Yes, or even a child. A lot
1: of times people oh, how tough once can that be a lot of people once they lose their child, yeah. they have a hard time moving forward without just, just walking away from everything that they're in. But that's not biblical. Mm. As a believer, we have the power and strength of Christ to go with us because he's given us the strength for all things that we need to walk through. So we can't follow by the footsteps of the world like everyone else,
0: exactly. I think that's where we come through this teaching. I think that's why there's a teaching in the Good Samaritan, and you know, it's such a familiar parable. But there's a teaching in there yep. that that is about this victory we can have. You know, I have um, you know, being a pastor, but not just being a pastor, just being a human being. I've walked with people through some very deep, dark valleys in their life. Uh, I'm thinking of a time when I was a pastor and had a wonderful young family in our church, and Out of the blue, on a Wednesday afternoon, a guy came off the interstate and went randomly to their house and was on messed up on drugs and ended up killing the wife in front of their young children. And I was at the hospital with the the husband when she finally actually passed away there in the emergency room. They couldn't save her and walked through it. I mean, that's just the most tragic of things. And you have—I think of every time I think of those things, I think of just how bad I have seen people. And, hey, even in my own life, in some ways, I've experienced times where they can define you if you're not careful because they're just huge life disruptors and yeah. things that happen. And, and what I'm trying to say is I have compassion on people through do that, but I always, especially with grief, and grief can be not just losing a person. Grief can be losing a job, uh, losing a ministry, losing, you know, things like that can happen. But I, I always try to get people to not get stuck in their recovery you know, don't get stuck. Get, you know, and and where when are they stuck? Well, I don't know. Everybody grieves different in a different pace, but I think we all kind of see when someone gets stuck. And I, as a, as a friend and as a pastor, sometimes I want to nudge them forward to get. Don't get stuck in this this area of bitterness or anger in your life. Move forward.
1: You know, when you were saying that, a key thing kicked into my into my mind, and the word was identity. Yes. Where is our identity? Laying. Is it in our relationship? Yes. Is it in our job? Is it with our children? Or do we identify with Christ? Our identity should always be in Christ. It doesn't mean grief is wrong. It's not. God gave us grief as a way to deal with the situations going on in our life. But if we allow that to rock our world, our identity was not properly placed. We did not see ourselves as seated with Christ in heavenly places. We did not see ourselves as, you know, with. You won with the Lord. Yes. So we're always supposed to have our identity wrapped in Christ.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting you say that because when you look at the Good Samaritan, again, I said there's some riches in there. Think about this: What did the thief do to this man? It says he was on the Jericho Road. I've been on this road, had a great experience, some fantastic experience on this road one time with a group over there. But we're you're going? It, it's really a rough road, and it was. Terrible road during that time because it was really ideal for thieves to hide in the camp. You didn't want to be on that road at night. And so here's this thief goes, and I mean, excuse me, this, uh, this man, Jewish man is going and he falls among thieves. The thieves jump out and get him. Now, what does the Bible say? Jesus has said already and taught us in other places that the enemy is a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So look what the thief did here. I call it the threefold ministry of a thief. Whenever the fall is in your life, whatever you go through, like we talk about marital, uh, things of your own making or things not of your own making, something you go through that's difficult, that's identified as a fall, look what the enemy did there. It says in in the Good Samaritan, the first thing he did was he stripped him of his clothing. Now that's identity. What you were just talking that's about, right. identity. Because you know, wow! Look at the picture there. Go back in the Old Testament. Who do you think about as one of the patriarchs who had his identity stolen by his garment taken from him, that's even it. from his own brothers? Uh, you know, that's Joseph. That's a, right. You know, patriarch, and he, uh, he the father, had given him the coat of many colors that defined him as the child of the father's child, the father's favorite. And his brothers were so bitter and angry about that they. Took and stole that coat off of him, in a sense, trying to take his identity away. I think you can go even further because the Bible tells us that we're to put on the garment of praise for spirit of heaviness. And, you know, so it, it, it teaches that. Well, you know what? When you go through a fall, the enemy's purpose is to strip that identity. And one of that, in doing that, he takes that garment of praise off. You can't praise God. It's very
1: hard to praise God when you're going through something like this. Think about when Jesus was walking through the desert through the 40-day fast. Mm-hmm. At the very end, Satan came to him and says, Fall down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. Mm-hmm. If Christ had done that, yes. he would have given over mm-hmm. his identity.
0: Yes. So
1: Christ faced that same situation that you and I face every day yes. of possibly turning our identity over to the enemy or somebody else or allowing it to be stolen from us. But instead, what did he do? He said, No. Yes, Thou shalt worship no other god. You know, he quoted the that, word of God back to Satan.
0: That's Jesus, you know, and, and that is him showing us how to respond to these things. I I probably fall on the compassionate side because when I talk about tragedies like I mentioned a minute ago and others that I've seen people go through, they're so difficult. Here's the point. Right there at that moment of loss and difficulty, yes, we're going to be angry. We're going to uh, be in denial. We're going to go through those type of things. But the point is not getting defined by this, not allowing that event to rob you of your that's identity right. so that you can praise God and you know you're the father's child and all of those things that identity is. But know this, because the Bible teaches us, do not be ignorant of the devices or the strategies of the enemy. And one of his strategies is to take that worst experience in your life and use it to rob your identity of being who you are in Christ. That That's the first goal of that. Uh, there. He also said this, he not only stripped him of his clothing, but he wounded him. And uh, you know, you think of a wound as something that's supposed to heal, but sometimes there is what we call an open wound, a wound that doesn't heal. And so that picture that he wants to give you something that will never heal, that'll always be open. And and I'm afraid, Kirk, we, we know people and I see people in life many times that they're immediately, when you're in their presence, you realize they've got deep wounds that have never healed. And it's it's manifesting in bitterness or anger uh, in their life. And I, I go back to this day we're living in right now, and this unusual year of 2020. I've never seen so many people so angry. And it's really oh, showing that the difficulty is revealing what's going on in their life. But here, you know, and a lot of people have lost things, lost jobs, and other things. The point is this we're not going to be ignorant of what the enemy tries to do on our worst day. He tries to take away our identity, and he wants to put a wound on us that stays open and affects everybody around us.
1: Well, that's exactly right. He wants us to pretty much, to use a strong word, vomit.
0: Yes. Our problems everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what people do because uh, you go up and say, how are you doing? And then you almost regret or you see someone coming, and you say, I'm not going to ask them how they're doing because I'm going to have to hear all over again how 20 years their husband left them. And they went, I mean, whatever it is, you know, and you, you realize then the person has become defined by that problem. Therefore, they've lost their identity and they're wounded. And that's what the enemy wants to do. You know, God in this parable is showing us how he wants to heal us through this. then he wants to do it. By the way, I said threefold. And, you know, he wants to strip you of your clothing. That's your identity. You know, he wants to wound you, leave you that open wound. But then he also, it says, wants to leave you half dead. That's one of those words that I always love to say it like this. I say, well, I looked that up in the Greek, and the Greek says this, half dead. That's exactly what it says. There's no doubt. And, wow, when you just think about that a little bit, how many people do you know? And I'm a pastor. People that sit in church week in, week out, they still come but they're half dead. They 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 want to be passionate, but they're being held down by some some problem, some difficulty in their life that they've never been able to get over. And I see that so many times with people, and that's my passion is to see them learn the reality of the truth of this parable and so much other teaching in the Scripture. Is you can get over, you can recover from your fall. You can get better. You don't have to be defined by what the enemy wants to do to you and tearing you down and and, and, and putting you in this way. And, you know, have you, you know, I know you've seen people, I don't looking at names here, but I mean, you know, you've seen people that are defined by some event in their life and people look at them. And this is what I always say. The first thing that comes to their mind when they look at them is they say, Oh, bless her heart, bless his heart. You know, he lost everything in that business deal 20 years ago and he's never been able to recover. Oh, bless his heart. You know, he went through this. And then, like I say, sometimes it can be something that, they didn't deserve it. Just blew into their life, you know. He never got over the loss of that child, and I, you know, I, my wife and I have a have a child in heaven, and I know how defining those oh, yeah. moments can become. I have a lot of compassion on people. I'm not being uh, without compassion here. I'm just trying to say, God, no matter how bad it is, God wants us to get over it.
1: That's he wants exactly us to right. get
0: victory in our life.
1: He wants us to look beyond the problem mm-hmm. and to His throne. Yes. I mean, I think it goes back to what we talked about several, well, I don't know when we talked about it. It's been a while. But, you know, in the Jewish way of thinking, they don't look at the now to the future. Mm -hmm. They look at where God says they are to where they are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We've got to get our minds thinking like God wants us to think. He already said, you're sitting next to me in heaven. Why? Because you died with Christ and were raised in you in the newness of life. If that's the case, if we are already dead and we are already raised again to life with Christ and we're seated at, with Christ, we're seated with God at the right hand mm-hmm. as the body of Christ, Christ being the head and us being the body, then we can no longer look at it from a defeated mentality. Mm-hmm. But we have to look at life through victory. Yes. Because yes. victory has already been won. We're already with God we're simply having to walk the journey where we already know that we're going.
0: Well, let's go a little further with the Good Samaritan now, and let's talk about that victory. Let's talk about how how he recovered from his fall. Yes, and it's you know it's a real short parable. Oh, it's just like so many things Jesus, so packed with meaning. And so we, we looked at the threefold ministry of what the thief tries to do and stealing your identity and wounding you and leaving you half dead. But look what Jesus teaches in this parable about how you get better. And I think the first thing I notice in that passage about getting better is that you need help from a friend. That's right. You cannot do this alone. You have to reach out and and get some help. You you can't be isolated.
1: And we've talked about this before. The friends you want are not the ones that are going to cheer you on when you're doing something wrong.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) They're the
1: ones that are going to say, oh, you're stuck in the dirt? Yeah, stay there. (laughs) You're doing great. You want someone that's going to challenge you. You want someone that's going to pick you up, dust you off, and say, hey, you you messed up, it's okay. You'll get through it. You can do better.
0: I think the you know, personalities of everybody is different, and I think my melancholy personality it tends to want to just let people, uh, you know, vent or let them just you know the old old southern word we use wallow in their misery, you know. Yep. And you know we we we. You know, I but I know I've watched people for too long, and I think I have a lot of patience through the years of doing this. But there comes that time when a faithful friend, a faithful pastor, a faithful somebody will say, hey, uh, and whatever the words that are needed to say, you you need to get better here. But in this case, I mean, it's very clear. This man would not have survived had not someone helped him. You you have to have help. You know, it's an age-old tactic of the enemy is that the first thing he wants to do, he'll use anything in your life to get you isolated. If he can get you isolated, in other words, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to Bible study anymore. I'm not going to my ministry discipleship group anymore. I'm not doing all that. I'm just so wounded. I'm so angry at what happened to me in life, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's the enemy's goal, because if he can get you away from that, you're not joined. It's where we started. Talking about iron sharpening iron, you know, it, it it those richness of that fellowship together. That's why in the Bible, when it says, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that's not just a verse to try to get people to go to church. It's absolutely essential that the body assemble together regularly. That's where we find our strength. That's where the fire of of of, of uh, the presence of God is its best and greatest. It's where people challenge us. and I, I, I've so wanted to lead a church uh, all my life. I've sought this in every place I've been, including the state of Mississippi, and that is to have a diverse group of people that I preach to. Oh, yes. I hate it when the church all looks the same. We tend to, you know, the, the word they use for it in social uh, so, um you know, talking about sociology in, in terms like that is a homogenized group. We, are by nature, want to, uh, to, to associate with people that look like we look, Talk like we talk, think like we think. But I like for church to be not only multiple races, because, you know, of all tribes, kindred, and tongue, but multiple connections, like around the world. We have a connection here with the Amazon that we work with, with a wonderful Hispanic culture that's thriving in this, in the, in the Amazon with the, with the gospel. And, and then I had for years an Indian uh connection with india doing building bible colleges and doing all this over there and it makes you more uh diverse and and you you recognize you need one another and you get challenged that's the point you come to church you get challenged i mean if you want to go to a church that everybody looks like you and nothing will ever said to challenge you you're going to be stuck where you are all the time because he says you know i mean you know if you Keep hearing what you've always heard. You're going to stay where you've always been. Sometimes we need to be challenged out of our political thinking, out of our, uh, you know, some stereotypes that we get stuck in. And you're going to get that with with different groups of people. So you need help from somebody. That's very clear on there. But the next one goes right along with it, Kirk. You're going to get. You're going to be surprised who helps you, and who doesn't help you when you go through a difficulty in life. I can say amen to that. You're going to be shocked. You're going to be surprised that when you go through the people you thought would help you don't always help you. But your help may come from a surprising source. It may come from the person that you never think. Some of you have been through some things, and you know what I'm saying, and you're saying amen to that because it always happens that way. You're surprised. I thought for sure these people would rally and help me, and they're nowhere to be found. You thought they were friends. They're not really friends. A friend's born for adversity, and you're going through adversity, and they're nowhere to be found. But then all at once, somebody you don't think uh, you would ever receive help from, I mean, he's receiving help from a Samaritan, but the Levite, you know the preacher the professional religious people were too busy to help him they had to get to church they had to get their assignments and uh, boy that's a that's a real thought you'll be surprised who will help you and who will not help you when you go you need help but you're going to be surprised at who the person is that shows up to help you many times
1: it's almost like somebody says but that's not my calling yes yes you yes. know my calling is not for x y and z yes well Did Christ say that there's a very specific thing you can only do? Yes. I mean, I don't see that in the red letters.
0: Yeah. Here's what happens, too. Boy, this is something I learned through a difficulty in my life, is that so many people will call you or come to see you, and they'll say, "Uh, uh, call me if you need anything. Call me now if you need anything. When someone's going through a fall in their life, economically, any way in their life, when they're going through that, they're not going to reach out for help. And when I went through a very difficulty in my life, an old friend found out that I'd gone through something, and, and he gave my wife his business card, and he said, you tell Barry to call me. And when Amy came home and I looked at that card, I thought, I ain't calling him. And it wasn't even like 30 minutes later somebody knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and this person was standing there, and he said, you know what? When I went through my difficulty, everybody told me to call them. I didn't call anybody. And I realized that somebody just needs to show up. He said, Get your clothes together and get your shoes on. We're going out right now to eat lunch or, or whatever and spend some time together. And I said, I'm he said, he, he forced me to get a is the best thing that happened in my life. Because he forced, you know, me into a position where I had to receive some ministry at a time when I didn't want to receive it. So the the moral of that story is don't tell people to call you. Go help them.
1: That's exactly like the Samaritan. Mm-hmm. The Samaritan most likely was not desired by the Jewish man. Yes. The half-alive part of him probably was like, dude, you leave me alone. I'm waiting for another Jewish guy to come pick me up and carry me home. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't strong enough, and the Samaritan went ahead and picked him up, probably even when the guy was mumbling under his breath saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, leave me alone. Don't touch me. Because you and I both know, studying the word, the Jews would call them dogs regularly. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So... He probably was not being yes. the friendliest person to him, and that's probably not something that was encouraging to the Samaritan to keep him moving forward, but he did.
0: Yeah, it's great to see that because it's great to see that when you're hurting, when you've gone through a fall, when you need someone to help you, you're willing to receive. Like in a way you never were. You get you learn some things about that. I mean, I I I speak in my own life of a time when I thought I had a lot of friends, and I found out that I didn't have as many friends as I thought I had. But the ones I had were faithful, and and some of them were surprising. The people I didn't know as well are people that I had not cultivated a really good relationship with them and been a good friend to them. But they showed up every day. They helped. They they put bandages on me they took me to the house and said whatever you need those type things just incredibly powerful so i just think it's uh you know just a it's a, it's a lesson learned on both sides when you're hurting when you've gone through something receive help from people and you will be willing to receive it from Sources that you didn't before, but also when you see someone go through a fall, go to that person, be that good Samaritan, no matter who it is, they'll be willing to to receive ministry and help and encouragement you know you know during that time. I think I think that's a final point of the story is you know don't let your fall define you. Let your recovery uh, define you. It's real simple when people think of your name, and you've been through something in life. You know, you've lost a, a loved one. You've lost a business. You've gone bankrupt. You've been divorced. Whatever the big issues are you faced in life. And many have multiple. You know, do people look at you and immediately say, Oh, isn't it just terrible what happened to him? Or, or what, isn't it terrible what happened to her? Or do they look at you and say, You know, he went through the most difficult thing. And, you know, he, he has able to just thrive over that. It's just incredible to see her. Doing so well with what she's been through, I'll tell you this: with in my life, a difficulty came along, and one of my kids came to me sometime after we were recovering from that, and said, "You know what? If you and Mom can get through something that difficult and do as good as you're doing, and love you, as, love each other, and be stronger than you've ever been, my son, my my son, I said it. My son said, 'You know what? There's nothing in life that I can't.'" face because i've seen you overcome the almost impossible so you never know and that made me feel so great by the way because it made me feel like people are beginning to look at me not as for what i've been through but for how i've gotten through it and gotten over it and if someone as close to you as a child that makes it really really powerful so don't get defined you know Find that victory. It's not hard. Jesus wants to help you. If you've been suffering from something for 10 years or more that you know is still defining you, get the victory over it. Let God do something that'll change your very countenance and change your life. You say, How do I do that, Pastor? Let someone help you. Don't let it define you. Ask God to give you that victory through that. You can live victorious over whatever uh, comes your way. I'm preaching now. Bishop, I mean, you know, this is powerful. This is a passion to me.
1: I think we need to pray for them. That sounds great. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, if there's anybody that's suffering and has not been yes. able to find their healing, find their restoration, Father, send someone to them, even if it's your angels, Father, from your throne room, to begin to minister to them and lift them up out of that miry pit, Lord God, and begin to heal those wounds. It would help them to find their peace, find the restoration, and be completely and totally restored and healed in their heart in their mind, and in their spirit, Lord God. And we thank you and praise your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: We really appreciate you guys joining us today. We, If there's something you'd like us to pray with you about, you can email Pastor Barry at bclinging at trophylakes.org, or you can go to the mooseministriesinc.com website, and you can click on Pray, and you can send us your prayer request there as well. We will be launching the School of Nazarite site here probably in the next two to three weeks. And uh, we'll let you know as soon as that registration's open. We'll post that on probably the Facebook page and on the Moose Ministries page as well. Um, And we really are so excited about the different resources that we're about to bring you. Guys, y'all have a wonderful day. God bless you. God bless you.